This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I've never had a scenario where um, you're out and stuck and you're worried. Our power went off and just flickered off for a second or two and came back on. I'm still one of those people. We talked about that 30-year anniversary of the blackout. Still one of those people that, uh, 20-year anniversary of the blackout, rather. And I've never been without power for a long period of time. And I know that there was a big storm uh, spring of 22 and in Uxbridge, I had a friend up there and they were out for like 11 days. And uh, it's amazing that you think snap of a finger. We live in a world where I can get something back in a hurry. Something can get fixed. And then you realize people are just so busy and they do their best and they they just cannot. Quick example for me, like our car, which the alternator died with me in the car at an intersection. I could feel the power steering start to go. All the lights go on. The gas pedals not quite got that oomph to it. And I was able to navigate it into a parking lot. It was like steering a, a, a boat into a dock. And uh, and we still haven't been able to get the car back. No fault of the dealer. These things happen and we'll get it back uh, a little later on today. But I know there were people that lost power last night and had it flicker back on. This is one thing we didn't get to yesterday. And if I don't, I'm going to go uh, mad. There was a lot of talk yesterday about taxes at City Hall and people that are very conscious of the fact that uh, there's going to be just more tax, property tax, vacant home tax, foreign investors tax. There's going to be more taxes, perhaps even to park at a mall. To park at a mall where it's always been free, and you say, "Well, they're talking about you know making the uh, putting the tax levy towards the people that own the mall," and I'm like, "Right." And don't you think they'll make an effort to pass that on down to you? But seeing this yesterday was rather remarkable in the Toronto Star, and because we were so busy with uh, with the good cause of our Food Share Toronto Radiothon, which was just amazing, that we'll tell you about in a few minutes. I saw this headline. I wish we'd be able to get to more of it. Contracts Toronto signed to host World Cup 2026 to be kept secret. This is from Ben Spur, who's so plugged in on with Alex Pearson uh, every week on Mondays. Usually the city and FIFA both say details of the contract signed for the city's $300 million bid cannot be disclosed. Well, they can be disclosed. You just need to ask for an audit on that. Like cannot is a really concerning word. That's I that sounds more like I won't I won't do it. There is a way to see what the contract looks like. You know why I know this? Because because someone at some point signed off on the contract. So they know there's always somebody that knows who the Academy Award winning films are, but they can't say because they're sworn to secrecy. Well, there'd be a way if suddenly suddenly those uh, those announcements went missing to figure out via some sort of documentation who won best actor, best actress, best pitcher. Draft lotteries are like that in sports. You know, ahead of time, they don't just magically put an Edmonton Oilers logo as the number one pick when they get Connor McDavid or a Leafs logo when they get Austin Matthews. Somebody knew in advance. So somebody signed a deal, navigated a deal, negotiated a deal with FIFA. This is a really easy thing for city council to ask for. I was asking somebody who is not in city council now, but knows it like the back of their hand. And they called it an indefensible, indefensible response that, well, what can we do? It's, it's secret. No, it's not. It isn't. 
and it doesn't have to be that way. What's FIFA going to do, by the way, if details of the concert hit the newspaper? Pull the games? I doubt it. There's no poison pen penalty for something like that. There's a way to look at open government provisions at, in municipal politics, and you can find them. And most of it's supposed to be public. Um, but right now, that's difficult to find. The city has indeed hidden it from being able to look up. You're almost lo- able to look up every single contract the city makes with somebody, how long it lasts, what the agreement is for, what the financial terms are. So I don't want to believe that Olivia Chow's playing games here. Sending one email and asking to see the FIFA agreement and, and, and waiting that out or FIFA saying, no, we'd rather not, that's not good enough. A spokesperson for Mayor Chow wrote to the media and wrote to Ben Spur in this case, the mayor has requested to view the agreements but has not seen them yet. I know she's busy. Homelessness, the city's pending bankruptcy. They're using up all her brain space. I got it. I understand why that would be the case. But you are going to have to push harder to let the people know and let city council know what this deal's about. Somehow, John Tory didn't make this deal and didn't sign off on it. No city councilor we've spoken to knows the details of it. So somebody with the city planning, somebody who's a senior aide, somebody who's a bureaucrat. I'm not trying to make this all Watergate-ish. I actually am not because we know some of the details because the media tells us not the counselors themselves. But there has to be a uh, middle ground here to find this at some point in time. Someone give Olivia Chow this guidance here. I get that she's not she's not a mega event person. She's not. That's not what she's doing here. Advocacy takes on a good chunk of her brain space in a good way, in a good way. If you like advocacy. But somebody needs to point her in the right direction here or be adamant saying, you're the mayor of the city. You need to see the copies of the agreement. It's going to cost taxpayers $300 million. Toast five games of an international soccer tournament. And you've heard me say this. I'm the most massive soccer fan there is. But right now, I'm going to feel a little queasy being at these games with the cost to taxpayers. I really will. People talk a big game and they're like, ah, I'd be uncomfortable watching that. I don't know about the cost. And then they just forget about it once they get there. They do. That could be a vacation. That could be a Taylor Swift show. That could be anything. But um, but the mayor, why have a mayor? Why have a mayor if she can't find a way to see copies of an agreement that your city made? You're the mayor of that city made with somebody like FIFA again. Tons of corruption behind FIFA. Toronto shouldn't just roll over and say, well, nothing we can do. It was made before us. There's no way to look this up. That's ludicrous. Vancouver knows their deal. Vancouver's deal is as public as it gets. And Toronto's isn't. That doesn't make any sense to me, given they're the two Canadian cities here. You got to push back a little more than sending one perfunctory email. Do a little bit better. Uh, I know there's a lot to juggle, but please do better at a certain point in time. I want to talk more about the propensity for taxes to come to the city of Toronto and who will pay more of them than others. Uh, that coming up a little bit later in the day. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now on a Friday. Uh, we had a really good day as a radio station yesterday. I was saying before six, it it makes you really proud when when we all come together and buy in on the same project, which was our 640 Toronto Food Share Radiothon. But our listeners really showed up and told us who they are as well. It was incredible. So our goal was 25000 That was our original goal. 
we hit over $40,000 in total donations, which I just think is fantastic, phenomenal. Now, you, I know, are going to be busy for the next few weeks. You've got three uh, three lunch dates to go on? I, we're making this one lunch date. I am uh, adamant that this is one mega lunch. I may have to eat three. This is like when you get married and you have to eat at the rehearsal dinner, and then you got to try and eat at the wedding to sustain <laughs> thanking everybody for being there. And I remember we had to go to three brunches before 12 noon, and we're like, how do people do this? Thank God they only do, most of them only do this once. But no, yeah. Weddings. yeah Alec, separate issue. Weddings are a waste of time. But yes, Alex, Alex Pearson volunteered me to come with her and meet up with three listeners who would donate $250 each. So, yes. you know, I, lo- I love my fast food. I love my fast casual. Uh, you know, but I don't think we're going to be able to pull that off and go to um, Mucho Burrito. Now, I before don't... she made this announcement on the air, were you aware that you'd be going to lunch? With Not one bit. <laughs> do, do I strike you as the kind of person that would behave spontaneously on the radio? I don't no. think so. I don't think so. So, um, so yeah, um, you're welcome. To, we could have we could have made it 300 with a, a Shiba Siddiqui cameo. Come on. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's all for a great cause, and you guys did awesome. Let me know how that lunch goes. And we have three people coming into studio to join our show as well and get a tour of the station. Well, that we do. And, and yeah, we had uh, we raised an amazing... Can we get the drum roll on the way out, Gord? Because that was pretty amazing. Or can you play... Can you tap the... Uh, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, $40,761. We set a goal for $25,000. There was really good corporate support. Chapman's Ice Cream stepped up $5,000 from them, but we had a lot of listeners dig really deep. Some of our regular contributors, KPM Power was at $5,000. Mother Parker's Tea and Coffee. That's the only coffee we should be drinking in the hallways here. Uh, from now on. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Really important stuff, to be honest, uh, from Prince Edward Island. And uh, housing, I always feel like it's a top of mind issue politically. We're throwing a lot of uh, aggression at the municipal governments, provincial governments, no matter what province you're in. And yes, the federal government to um, to do more and and asking why they didn't do more in the past so they wouldn't have to do quite as much now. Um, so it was on uh, a lot of people's minds with uh, Cabinet and the Prime Minister meeting. Covering that session out in PEI uh, was our own Mackenzie Gray, national reporter for Global National, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. We always love having you on the show. Thanks very much for doing this. Always great to be on, Greg. I mentioned that um, there's a lot of people dismayed, and I have heard from big fans of the Liberals, big fans of Justin Trudeau, a little dismayed themselves that there wasn't any sort of pending announcement. I mentioned, Mackenzie, this time of year, we remember what it was like being university students. Everybody's moving in, moving out. A lot of people take stock of, of where they are at uh, renting or buying-wise. So it's it's very top of mind for people. And they left that cabinet meeting knowing how much it meant to Canadians. And and just nothing new. They took some ideas in, but they're processing them right now, if you will. The prime minister in his press conference talked about how it's a housing crisis and we've been in this situation before and we had to build more houses back in the 1940s when World War II veterans were coming back because we didn't have enough homes. And in the 60s, when all the baby boomers were kind of leaving their parents' house and we didn't have enough houses then, too. The federal government needs to make a huge effort to be able to deal with things. So it was a bit peculiar to see the Liberals announce nothing from this cabinet retreat that they had. And they heard from a number of experts who had, uh, you know, lots of different ideas, some of which are, are big, complicated programs, potentially talking about tax incentives for developers to uh, start building things and talking a lot about cooperation with the provinces 
you know, municipalities, with the private sector, with not-for-profit. You know, there are there are big things that need to be done that are complicated. And I don't even think Pierre Polyev would expect that something like that would be able to come out of a situation like this. No, there were I- plenty of other ideas that could have been done that were, were presented in those meetings. And, and the Prime Minister and Christian Freeland both had really no clear answers on why they did not implement anything. One of, and I wonder if people will perceive it this way, but I think a lot of a lot of capital could be gained by Sean Fraser if he can help fix this issue. He's now the Minister of Housing, Infrastructure, and Communities, but he was also the Minister of Immigration before. So that's led some of his critics to note, even as he talks about. I know you did a story on the potential for an international student. Uh, cap for especially for some of the uh, colleges as opposed to the universities but a lot of people have that lens pointed at at Sean Fraser saying wait a minute now your job is to fix housing but immigration especially with student visas is a big reason why big cities especially where there are universities are struggling right now yeah last year when Sean Fraser was the immigration minister over 800,000 student visas were were given now there's no cap on that and and the the kind of criteria associated with are fairly loose. Essentially, if you're able to get into a post-secondary school, you're very likely to get your visa. Uh, And 800,000 is substantially higher than where it was back in in 2015. So there has been a big run-up in that. You know, the prime minister got asked about that, and he kind of put a little bit of cold water on it, talking about how there's always been, you know, a different boogeyman, essentially, when it comes to housing. You know, it was developers, Uh, It was international buyers and, you know, the flavor of the week now seems to be international students. But, you know, the experts that Mr. Trudeau heard from have identified that uh, in particular, when it comes to the rental market, international students have really driven up the prices in in places like London, Ontario and in Toronto, too, where there are a lot of students who come to town for school for, you know, basically eight, nine months of the year. Um, But, you know, it's not just these experts who are talking about it. It's also the Bank of Canada that said that you know, really increased immigration, not only with international students, but with uh, temporary foreign workers, which is around 600,000 people, and then around 500,000 people with permanent residents uh, have continued to keep elevated demand with the high price of housing. And of course, that spills over into the rental market as well, too. Mackenzie Gray is joining us on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. Um, Let's get as well to um, the meta bill and and Bill C-18. Obviously, this file has been turned over now more uh, to Pascal St. Ange um, and that it's not an enviable shuffle. She went from Minister of Sport. Not that she she dealt with some big things and people gave her a lot of credit for dealing with Hockey Canada and some other sport abuse scandals last summer. But this is a really difficult file here. And and I, I don't think anybody has a guess, Mackenzie, as to how it ends, whether they get back to the table, whether they both just keep going their separate ways. But uh, obviously the, the talk and the rhetoric uh, w- was pretty fierce from Justin Trudeau and others in Charlottetown. Well, and he kind of volunteered that idea too, Greg. You know, we didn't ask him about that. It was in his mm-hmm. opening remarks at the beginning of uh, the retreat in PEI. He just came up and, and really leaned into uh, Facebook and Instagram meta, the parent company, for not sharing information about the wildfires. You know, I think it's, it's a twofold thing for the liberals when it comes to the Online News Act. One, uh, you know, they, they do, I think, want the tech giants to pay uh, for the links and other things that get posted on their websites. Uh, but I think secondly, and, and I don't necessarily think more importantly, but it's certainly a big factor for the liberals. They want to have a fight with Pierre Polyev about tech giants in the next election. Mm-hmm. They want to say, you're supporting Elon Musk, you're supporting Mark Zuckerberg, you're supporting all these you know, big Silicon Valley guys, and we're sticking up for Canada here. 
Uh, I think that's a fight they want to have, and this is the proxy for them to be able to do that in the next election. Mm. Um, I know you you headed out to Charlottetown, and this all began um, with, uh, I would hardly say in the background, more the foreground, the wildfires in Kelowna, the wildfires in Yellowknife. Some question whether the, they should be even be traveling uh, as a result. But I would say it feels like I wouldn't say they made through it un, made it through unscathed, Mackenzie. But obviously, they uh, they ended up having enough success in those two cities kind of kind of tempering uh the damage being done that that it looked like i wouldn't call it a non-issue but it looked like an issue that the federal government isn't paying a big price for right now yeah i mean they talked about it every day like we heard from mm-hmm. the various ministers who were talking about what was going on with the wildfire so they were accessible to give information about that hard to the emergency preparedness minister didn't come uh he stayed in bc so you know it was uh if you know if one of the towns burned down and and god forbid they it will and it didn't uh, it might have been a different calculus or might have been a mistake by the liberals. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, talking about housing and, and, and focusing on housing, I think it's also a very important uh, issue for most Canadians. It's just the fact that they didn't announce anything about that. That might have been a political misstep for them. And, of course, Pierre Polyev has taken them to task on that already. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Uh, are, there, are there expectations we're closer um, to a Chinese election interference inquiry. All the leaders have weighed in at various times. I think we knew that in the midst of the summer, though the issue wouldn't completely die down, it, it would get stamped out a little bit uh, by you know either a lack of focus from the public or politicians just being not in the House of Commons. Do we start to get a ton more talk about it once everybody kind of returns to normal in September? Yeah, Dominic LeBlanc, who's the new public safety minister who's been dealing with the opposition House leaders in kind of terms of reference, uh, had been saying that the conversations between the other major parties had been going well, um, but he also said in Charlottetown that they'd been talking with sitting judges about potentially uh, running the uh, inquiry. So uh, we're not totally clear right now as to what the holdup in the issue is. Uh, we can think back, I think about six weeks ago or so, we heard from the opposition party saying, basically, we've come to an agreement. You know, the one thing I would say is that Jagmeet Singh has talked about the idea that it needs to be a broader inquiry, not just focusing on China, but bringing in Russia, Iran, India as well, too. So uh, we'll see how the conservatives feel about that. They had said that they just wanted to focus in on China. Uh, but I would kind of reading through the tea leaves right now. It seems like the bigger issue is finding a credible person to not necessarily that the, all the parties agree with, but finding someone that is willing to run this thing because it is going to be so politically charged and the David Johnson appointment before made it very difficult to get a credible, serious person to come in and tackle this extremely thorny issue. Yeah. And that began with a lot of, a lot of partisan politics and it ended rather uh, suddenly, abruptly and, and really disastrously, I think uh, for the liberals. Mackenzie, great stuff as always. Uh, Thanks for bringing it on our show and and have a great weekend. Really good workout in PEI. We loved watching. Thanks, Greg. Chat soon. You got it. Mackenzie Gray joining us, national reporter with Global National and Global News covering Parliament Hill. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. If you are seeking a dermatologist, good luck. It's not that easy. Um, I've gone for, I had what's called a ganglion cyst on my finger. Nothing gross to me. Nothing, you might think it is. Nothing contagious, but a little bubble under the surface. Um, I can't tell what it's from. Tennis, golf, I I started to get it. It grew last summer. 
And I went to see this great dermatologist um, to take care of it. But I remember getting to the waiting room and thinking, it's busy and it's hard to get an appointment. And this just isn't an Ontario thing. There's a shortage of available dermatologists throughout the province. So why is that when they're in such demand? Dr. Mark Kirchhoff's division head of dermatology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. And he joins us now. Dr. Kirchhoff, thanks very much for the time. I appreciate it. Good morning. Good to be here. Awesome to have you. When I uh, when I lay all that out, um, what is the story here? Why do we have such a shortage of people who do such important work like yourself? And 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 really, um, you improve people's quality of life, their self confidence, and and their health in general. We don't have as as many of you as we need. Well, like anything, this is a obviously a complex answer. We have a population that is getting older and requires more medical attention. There are increasing demands on dermatologists. People who are older have more skin cancer, more mm. skin problems. So that's that's to be expected. We do also see um, a small percentage of dermatologists who do cosmetics. As you know, some people who are getting older are more concerned about how they might appear. And so there's an aesthetic component to that as well. Um, and then, obviously, uh, we have a shortage of medical personnel across the country. It's not just dermatologists. There's long wait times for many specialties. So it's we're not unique in that way. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, so, yeah, definitely aging population, growing population, more via uh, immigration than the birth rate. Are we losing dermatologists at all um, because of cost of living issues? Are they moving to other provinces or to the United States? What are you spotting? The, the loss to the United States is very minimal. Uh, mm -hmm. I do know of a few colleagues that have gone to the United States, but the majority of Canadian trained dermatologists stay in Canada. So I don't think that's a, a major issue. The distribution of dermatolog dermatologists across the country is, is always an issue, as it is with all physicians. We see that there's a lack of uh, doctors in rural areas. So places like uh, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal have, have an abundance of dermatologists while some of the smaller outlying areas really have a lack of dermatologists. PEI, for instance, has only one dermatologist in the entire province. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm seeing, I mean, there are people that travel. Um, I, I suppose it, it will call dermatology um, a specialty medical industry. I'm reading about people that travel from even where you are, Ottawa, uh, and they go outside the city. You probably have people coming in from Ottawa and they'll tell you, I'm from Kingston, I'm from Belleville, I'm, I'm from even further north. You must hear those anecdotes. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we uh, we ran a, uh, a skin cancer screening clinic, a free clinic a couple of weeks ago, and we had people driving three, four hours to see us. So it's it's not uncommon to hear these stories, people driving very far to see us. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and obviously, I, I wish it was different. Um, mm -hmm. And we are trying to change things, change things. We are trying to change, train more dermatologists as we go through. Um, in my uh, what 10 years that I've been in practice, we've increased the number of trainees um, from about uh, 20 a year to almost 40 a year. So we are trying to address this, uh, obviously working with the regulatory boards and the government agencies to address these shortages is very important. Um, and then we are trying to recruit people to areas where there is a need. Dr. Mark Kirchhoff is our guest division head of dermatology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Um, you mentioned you're probably seeing more skin cancer. I'm curious if you're seeing more um, more acne amongst teenagers. The uh, acne, for those of us that struggled with it at times um, and, and thought, well, you know, eventually I'll, I'll fight it off and get better. But 
It absolutely, um, I can't think when we talk about mental health, we didn't have many conversations associating mental health with acne at that age, at that point in your life. It is, it is everything to have a clear face sometimes, isn't it? You're absolutely right. We know that depression rates are higher in uh, teenagers who have acne and that if you do clear their acne, the depression rates do go down. So uh, it's definitely an important thing. Um, If somebody has very severe acne causing scarring, that can be a permanent disfiguration of the face. Uh, or back or any other area where you might have the acne uh, and that can be permanent right and and that may have a major impact on a person person's life do you see more boys or girls for that now uh, i would say it's relatively equal mm-hmm. um sometimes we see i would say what we call more hormonal acne in in women um but men can have very very severe acne uh and then i do see acne related to uh we'll call it bodybuilding hormones and things like that that right. uh, young men sometimes take so uh, it runs the gamut, really. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, do you look at, ahead and say because we're, you know, there's more incentivizing, there's more uh, training, there, we're, we're trying to cut some of the red tape for people to become dermatologists. Are you hopeful that this change? I know nothing changes overnight. Are you hopeful five, six years from now, we've just got a better ratio of dermatologists to the population? Absolutely. And and I do think that technology will also play an important role in changing how medicine is delivered. Um, for instance, here in Ottawa, we pioneered the e-consult service that is now uh, rolled out across Ontario, and now other provinces are taking this on as well, where family doctors are able to send in photos, a small amount of information, and then get a consult back. And so family doctors can really use this tool to um, get dermatological consults very quickly. Yeah, we can be a lot more nimble with that. Hey, uh, Dr. Kirchhoff, thanks so much for the time. I, I hope we can check in with you again. I really appreciate you getting up early. And and honestly, honestly, thanks for doing what you do. Um, it, it makes a difference in people's lives to be, to be accessible to your patients. It just does. Thanks so much for the time. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The international news of the week uh, is obviously uh, the Wagner Group uh, chief uh, on board a deadly plane crash. And as I said earlier, there's always a next step. There's always a next chess move on the board in this struggle, at least over the last 19 months between Russia and Ukraine. Our guest wrote a brilliant book published about a year ago, year and months ago, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. Joining us from across the Atlantic, he is Bill Browder. It's great to have you back on Toronto today, Bill. Thanks very much for making the time. Great to be here. Uh, You couldn't have been surprised, or was there any element of surprise or shock with the news of the plane crash and the death of Prigozhin? Well, the only thing surprising to me was that Prigozhin, who uh, organized an armed rebellion and humiliated Putin uh, on June 24th of this year, was able to survive for two months after that. Putin is a guy with incredibly thin skin. He absolutely can't stand any kind of opposition. He's even angrier when when there's some type of betrayal involved. And I would have expected the day after that armed Mm -hmm. insurrection, they would have taken Prigozhin out to Red Square, set up a guillotine, and chopped his head off on national television. And the fact that they didn't do that for two months was the only surprising part of the story. The fact that he was killed... um, by being shot out of the sky or whatever happened up there, um, that's not a surprise at all. I think you got it. Like, it's it's bizarre. He didn't seem to anticipate something like this happening. And the average person, you, me, even as close as you've been um, to to Vladimir Putin uh, and his wrath, we'd all say, well, I, I, I'd make sure I kept a low profile. 
but we're but these people are just are not average people and either they're so bold or they're so uh, aggressively they think they're impenetrable that that's not what he did well i think part of the thing was that putin said hey all is forgiven uh, lukashenko the belarusian dictator supposedly brokered a deal where he said okay you stop marching on on moscow mm-hmm. and everything will be okay you'll be fine and and you know he was kind of like unsure of himself probably the first couple of days and then he went to Moscow, had a meeting at the Kremlin. They were having tea with Putin at the Kremlin with a couple of his guys. And then he was moving around. He met a bunch of African dictators at the Russia-Africa summit in St. Petersburg. And I guess he kind of just started to believe it, that, that you know, he was moving around. Nobody was killing him. Nobody was trying to kill him. He thought, you know, maybe, maybe these guys are for real. And so he goes on his private jet along with mm-hmm. his, his uh, number two. There's some guy named Utkin. I don't know if you've seen a picture of that guy. Yes, and yes. He, he looks like uh, some Frankenstein's monster. I mean, just with swastikas and I mean, he's just a nasty looking guy. Anyways, um, they got on their plane, put their name on the manifest and lo and behold, the plane falls right out of the sky. And and what a turn of events. Like if 12 months ago, I, I bring you the theory that um, Pergozin will be um, will will meet an untimely demise before let's say an alexei navalny would i know who is still in jail and he's being there two and a half years and his sentence extended we've all most of us here in toronto have seen the movie but that would have been unthinkable 12 months ago that navalny would outlast pergozin to be blunt well well the difference between these two guys is that navalny um is an enemy but he wasn't a a traitor so he, he was never part of putin's crew he was never like you know, pledging allegiance to the secret police of Russia, you know, he's always been an outsider criticizing them, which, and, and, and Putin, of course, doesn't like Navalny, and he's tried to kill him as well with poison and stuck him in jail and sentenced him to 19 years. But what Putin really doesn't have time for and really gets upset about are the people who are, mm-hmm. he, he views as traitors. And that's the ultimate sin. And he'll chase those people everywhere and anywhere to kill them. And, and of course, we've seen other other examples. Remember Alexander Litvinenko. He was a he was a former KGB agent who um, Putin and his cronies used for assassinations. And he left, and he he gave up his Russian citizenship. He became British, uh, and uh, and then they poisoned him with polonium two ten in in London in two thousand six. And of course Sergei Skripal, another KGB agent, yeah. defected to the other side, and then they tried to kill him with Novichok. And so. Putin really doesn't like these guys who he thinks are betraying him. That's the worst thing for Putin. And, and, that, and that explains why Prigozhin is dead and, and Alexei Navalny is still alive. Doesn't mean that Alexei Navalny will ultimately survive this. I mean, that's the big no. worry we all have. Bill Browder is our guest. Uh, he's written Freezing Order most recently and Red Notice prior to that. He's joining us on Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Um, your friend Marcus Kolga is often on our show, and, and he's been on uh, Alex Pearson's show this week commenting on this. And he doesn't rule out more of a coup attempt in the next few months. And we've all wondered when it comes for him. It came for Muammar Gaddafi. It came to some extent for Saddam Hussein. Is there anybody in that inner circle with power, with the military might that Putin currently trusts that just says enough will be enough at a certain point and they'll make a move on him? It has yet to materialize. Well, see, but, but this is this is the reason why Putin has done this in the first place, why he killed Prigozhin is he needs to show everybody that if you even have those thoughts, you're dead. That, that, that's, what he, that, that's the message he needs to send. And he very effectively sent it by, by such a spectacular 
assassination, to shoot a plane or to blow up a plane in the sky. That's a very powerful message. And, and the point of it is, is that Putin is so scared of people trying to have a go at him, ha- having to run at his position. Remember, Putin, this is a, this is a, he's a tiny little man scared of everything. Remember during COVID, he, he would mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. that anyone who ever came in contact with him had to like do two weeks of quarantine and, and then he would sit at these tables that were like 40 feet long. I mean, the guy is terrified of everything. He's of his own shadow. And so he's out there looking for betrayal. He's looking for people who are going to come after him. And, and uh, mm. probably oftentimes he, the people aren't even betraying him. And he goes and he takes them out. And so, so, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so here's what here's what I would predict is that first of all, I think that um, the uh, Prigozhin is not the only dead man among these Wagner mercenaries. I think that Putin is going to take out everybody who had anything to do with the, that armed rebellion. And then the second mm-hmm. thing I would say is that the, all the people from the Wagner group that P- Putin wants to take out may have their own. Um, you know, uh, attacks on different parts of the Russian establishment uh, preemptively. And so I kind of think that we're going to see a lot of dead bodies piling up among the bad guys. Yeah. And, and, you know, from, from, from the Western perspective and from the Ukrainian perspective, that's good news because let them kill each other. I got just over a minute here. I want to I want to get your feel for where the Russia Ukraine conflict is now. It's not it's not quite as prominent in the headlines, and some have described the war as settling into a a comfortable um, rhythm. But they this counter offensive for Ukraine it's not fizzled, but it just hasn't gotten the results that some expected. And and I know you can probably feel it too, whether it's among people struggling economically and people in the Western world in the UK, the US, Canada. Is there an appetite to keep pressing forward for their governments? The people struggle with the phrase, Bill, we'll do this as long as it takes. And it's the as long as it takes part that that worries some people sometimes. Well, I think this is Putin's big bet is that we're all going to just get tired of it. We're going to get used to it. Mm-hmm. And then he, and he's got one huge bet, which is that uh, Donald Trump gets elected in 2024. And Donald Trump will then cut off the U.S. support for Ukraine, which is more than half of all the military and financial aid that goes to Ukraine. And um, and if that happens, then he thinks he'll win. And um, he may very well be correct. And so that, that's the, probably the biggest outstanding wild card in this whole story is not what happens in Russia and Ukraine, what happens in America. Yeah. And, and even still, that election results a good 15 months away. Uh, Bill, I got to leave it there. I love having you on. And, and thanks so much for your insight this morning. Thank you. Bill Browder joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. All right, our in out um, centers around our own friend uh, uh, Gord Rennie here, technical director. Uh, had some uh, had some tidy up work at a hospital clinic yesterday. You and your wife, and you and you waited in the waiting room. I did, but you raised a fascinating question, and that is, what are the times that you do do the waiting, and when do you just sort of do a drop off and pick, or when do you say like? Goodbye. Go out on your own. Like when? When are you there and when are you not? Is a really fascinating question. Yeah, because I, t- I sent you a picture because outside the uh, the waiting room window was <laughs> it's a lovely queen. photography. Was yeah, a, I, a dairy queen. That's too tempting across the street yes, for there to be a know, dairy queen across that, from a waiting room. A dentist waiting room of all places. But um, 
I said if it was a bar, there would be no debate about it. I'd be over there and, and waiting and then come back. But we never like, finished the... Did you end up going to the Dairy Queen? No. I stayed in, I stayed in the waiting room. And by the way... How was, long was she gone for? Two hours. And they had... They oh, had, you could have totally gone. I could have, but I didn't. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like walking. See, I think, like, it's, it's sort of like the dentist. You wouldn't go and wait with your wife or girlfriend for, or boyfriend or husband for a cleaning... But for a tooth extraction, yeah, where they couldn't drive afterwards, exactly, exactly, you're there. Well, because you don't know if something is going to go south or or whatever. There's something where they need to ask you something. And yeah, I don't want to be across the street, not not available. I mean, I, I've uh, Sheba, I'm on the record for being anti vasectomy, but if I, for me, if I was ever to get one, um, <laughs> I would absolutely. Well, I'd need a ride home afterwards. Yeah. I think that, but I'd also, I wouldn't want. Rachel to be in the waiting room. I'd kind of want her to do the drop off and 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 come back. I don't want her. I don't want to think of her being forty feet away. Well, okay, this is too much information. It is, <laughs> but I, I was in the waiting room. I was. I drove reading magazines. I, I was. Yeah, or probably on my phone. I was probably on my phone. <laughs> And then we went home, and it was very traumatic for him. Is and it I like rolled. the opposite? Like when, when men used to not be in the waiting room for babies, and then they'd just be <laughs> handing out cigars. Were you handing out cigars when your husband had the no. vasectomy performed? You're like, very dramatic. it's happening. No, he, he was very dramatic, and inwardly I was rolling my eyes thinking, try giving birth, buddy. Come on. I think we should pursue more of these uh, these particular um hypotheticals but do you weigh with your significant other in a hospital Ouch. or a clinic for their partner in you do out you do not gord was an innie yesterday yes. not an Audi. we weren't talking about belly buttons 416-870-6400 via text 729 if this gentleman was ever rushed to the hospital i'd wait right by the bedside because there's nobody else that can deliver a 729 or so uh, news update on a Friday morning. That. Let's let it rip. I would be there. I'd be there with you. I'd go to Dairy Queen. I'd get you a, a blizzard when you woke up. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Let's go right for, now. For the vasectomy, I don't know. You get, get a bag of peas <laughs> and a blizzard. You can decide hey, to do whatever you want with either one. That's great. I'll, I'll hold the peas myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, all right. When in Rome. Yeah. <laughs>